here's his perspective. He's wanted for attempted murder. Him and I are getting ready to leave the jail at 730. And I'm like, so, yeah, so my wife picked me up, got home, slept most of the day. And this is when I started realizing that I had a problem with alcohol. This is the Van Scroll Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. This week on the podcast is a man named Charlie Backer. Charlie is unlike anybody else that I know. He is uh, has a fascinating story and is an entrepreneur. He actually owns his own hot sauce company here in St. Louis, Missouri. But Charlie is no ordinary man. In addition to being an incredibly clever marketer and a really hard worker, he started off as a guy that was headed towards the seminary. And I don't want to give anything away in this story because the whole time, even though I thought I knew Charlie, the more we dug into his story, the more I realized that this is a very complex and fascinating man. I had a blast talking with Charlie. You will hear us talk about what it takes to do marketing, how he thinks about social media. He is exceptional at it. And uh, and then we get into talking about things like health and nutrition and exercise and what it's done for both of our lives. This was a lot of fun of an interview, and I really think that anybody that is out there trying to track down their dream, trying to make something different happen in their lives than what's going on right now, could learn an awful lot from Mr. Charlie Backer. So I hope you buckle in and enjoy the program. Charlie Backer, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. It was funny. I had not realized until I watched your Facebook uh, Live or your Facebook stories that it's been five years since we saw each other last. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's before you went to Monsanto. I think it was before that. I remember having coffee and you were telling me what you were doing. Yeah, that's a long time ago. So to start off, let's uh, give a little bit of background on who you are and what you're doing. You are Charlie Backer, but probably known much wider as As, Hot Charlie. Yeah, as Hot Charlie. So I own a St. Louis created and bottled hot sauce and now a seasoning company. We also have a line of popcorn. And it's interesting. Many people that say I own a XYZ company they got it because their parents did it mm-hmm. or because they fell into it or they became the CEO. This is the, You're the first person I'm talking to that from zero started something and it's now up and running. Yeah, it's been it was two years about two weeks ago. That's from when I launched. And so tell the story about how you went from being a guy that was had a regular job uh, to now owning a a hot sauce company that's distributed around the United States. Yeah. So it started as, as a kid, my brother and I used to have competitions, uh, chugging bottles of Tabasco. <laughs> um, and so I've always enjoyed spicy things growing up. Uh, and it was about eight or nine years ago. I was getting ready for a Super Bowl party and I wanted something with a ton of heat, but flavor. Um, there's a, a, a good amount of hot sauces out there, but some of them you go to the hotter end, it's just like a colonoscopy prep. And I didn't want that. So I just went to my local Deerberg's and I, bought a bunch of random stuff and realized like at this point in my life, I could barely make mac and cheese without burning it. So I was not a cook. So I just started playing around with stuff in the kitchen and made it for a Super Bowl party. People liked it. And so for the next eight years, I was just doing that a couple times a year. Like I was just known as, oh, Charlie makes makes hot sauce. And uh, my friend, when you say people liked it, you mean like, hey, Charlie, th- thanks for bringing the wings or, or was it well, like an actual reaction? Yeah, People were like, wow, this is different. And so a couple years ago, 
some people tried my hot sauce and like they wanted a bottle for the weekend. So I made them an extra batch and they were blowing up my phone all weekend. Like, dude, you need to sell this. I'm like, that is so stupid. Like I'm at this point, I was consulting for like HR and payroll. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to make a hot sauce. Well, they pushed me. And so from there, I created a Facebook page and I sold like five bottles the first week. And then soon enough, it went up to 50 bottles a week, which is really cool. Um, but then you realize legally you can't do that from home in St. Louis <laughs> County. So that was a big one. Um, but also, I've got a wife and kids and uh, and two dogs and a hamster. Um, so the interesting thing with that is I'm dealing with so many hot peppers at home that, um, yeah, bath time at one point, I didn't realize you could use gloves for about two weeks into the process. So I was just dealing with like habaneros and very spicy peppers. And I remember giving my daughter a bath one night and her screaming. I'm like, well, shit, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Oh, so, no. Well, it burns. And like, if you don't wash your hands before you go to the bathroom, it, it was a lot of bad stuff for making it from home. But people really liked it. And I got to a point where I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I started talking to different manufacturers in the area, and a lot of them just didn't really care. I was such a small fish, and they could do like some of these bigger, larger, whether it be like a regional or national brands. So it took me a few months to find a, a bottler that could be my size, and I worked with him for a couple months. We worked through the FDA to replicate my sauce with something that could be shelf-stable. So to get over 50 people, you now have to start worrying about is the FDA going right. to accept this? Are they going to kill me? Correct. I mean, they that's what you worry about. Like, is what is in the bottle, is it going to make somebody sick? And it was interesting, some of the pushback that I got initially, because Hot Charlie is the thing that makes it unique. It's it's focused on the flavor of the pepper and not really the heat. So you get hit with a ton of, of flavor. But in that, one of my secret ingredients, it's not really secret, is I use real garlic. I don't use powdered garlic. So because I use real garlic, it has to be a um, like a hot bottled sauce. So it's heated like 190 degrees right before it's bottled. So because of that, it, it makes it an acidic hot sauce. And this this is all like a, a lot of like scientific stuff. Yeah, no, it. no, this but is good. Because it's an acidified sauce, there's different requirements for the FDA. So worked with my bottler through all that stuff. That took a couple months. And then August 2017, I had the first bottles going off the line. And I'm sitting there like I had a, at this point. I, was, I remember. Did you have a Kickstarter? How did you sell it online? Because I remember going to I had website a Shopify or it order. That's right. That's the right. beginning. And uh, I remember seeing a thousand bottles leave the line. And I, I was like, what the hell did I just do? And because um, I had no experience in retail, no experience with like I, I didn't know chefs. Butchers actually scared me. Um, I don't know if you've ever like gone to like a gun shop like sometimes you go to a gun shop you're just looking at something it's intimidating with some of these these gun shop salesmen and i'm like just scared so i viewed the same thing with like chefs and butchers so i'm like why the hell did i get into hot sauce and so i mailed my first bottle to john pertzborn on fox 2 and if you know john pertzborn every tuesday it's bow tie tuesday so he wears a bow tie so i mailed him a letter and i said this is the first bow tie friendly hot sauce and he's like no way so he gets me on TV with him. That's clever. Yeah, it was it was great. He got me on TV. That got me my first couple of retailers. My first retailer is a place called Oakville Butcher Block. So a butcher. So realize I'm afraid of these people. They were my first retailer. And from there, it really just it took off. And when you say it took off, that means that you're still bottling at your house, but you're meeting no. FDA requirements. No, no. At, at that point, I was I wasn't bottling anything from home. I okay. have a, I was had a bottler at the time that I was using out in St. Peter's. Meaning that they have like a kitchen, and you come in and say, "I want it in these ratios," and they say, "This is what it's going to be required," or "This is how we buy all the different ingredients." How does that well, work? Well, what they do is typically when you work with a manufacturer, you're going to give them your samples, you're going to give them your ingredients, and they're going to try to replicate it closest to that. But 
depending upon certain sizes of manufacturers on where they source from in the United States or throughout the world, there can be some variations on flavor, on color. So work through all those things, decided on a bottle, got the label and all that stuff designed. And then he just more or less, I would say, okay, I need an order of, you know, 75 gallons. And he would just create the batch, bottle the batch. 75 gallons yeah. of hot sauce. So how are you learning this? Is there is there a YouTube channel that says... This is how you learn how to... You know, there were so many times where I was like, it'd be cool. Like, I I Googled how to start a hot sauce company, but they're all just total BS fluff pieces. Um, I had to learn. Like, I feel like my entrepreneurial journey has just been learning how to fly a plane as I'm trying to figure out how to build it at the same time of not crashing. So, because even like if you look at my label, so my label has a guy on a bow tie. Um, people are like, wow, that's it's a beautiful label. It stands out on the shelf. You know, how, what did you pay for that? I paid $35. I used Fiverr. Have you ever used Fiverr? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. use them. My graphic designer may have been from North Korea, but she did a wonderful job. <laughs> so I more or less, I texted her a picture of me in the elevator on my way to work with my bow tie on. And she just made that an animated version or a cartoon version. And so you're basically MacGyvering everything together in your business. You're trying to figure this out. Even the name. Like, I didn't know what to call it. And um, it was a few months before I launched. I was going to bed and Kelly, my wife, was like, well, why don't you call it Hot Charlie's? You you like hot sauce and your name's Charlie. I'm like, all right, well, we're just going to go with this. And this is one of those stories of... um, it's too late to stop. Like if, if you push like something down a hill, you can't stop it. It's already going. Like I, so that was in say April or March of 2017. So months before I launched the product. So leading up to the product launch, I created a website. I designed the labels. You know, created my business, business cards, a lot of my marketing stuff. And then the week before I'm supposed to go on Fox Two, I Google Hot Charlies. And hoping that, you know, my website pops up and um, it was actually Urban Dictionary that pops up. Oh, no. So if you know Urban Dictionary, if, if your listeners do, it's just a, a website <laughs> that people take normal words or phrases and it's just very... It's, they it's, talk about what the slang actually what means. What the slang actually means. And yeah, that was one of those moments I'm a week before. I'm like, like what in the hell? So... What is it? What does it say on Hot Charlie's? <sighs> You don't have to say it if you don't want to. Oh, I can say it. So apparently uh, a loved one, if you defecate in a tube sock and hit your loved one over the face with it, that's getting a hot Charlie. Oh, my God. So I think one of these Christmases or holiday seasons, I'm going to come out with hot Charlie like stockings and it's just going to be like a tube sock with my logo on it. Very few people are going to get it. And most of it is just going to wow. be like, oh, I'm going to put this on my mantle. But it was at this point, it was too late to change anything. Yeah, I'm the, like, the I, train has already left. Oh, the yeah. So I, it took me about six months to get the first page of Google all about my stuff, not Urban Dictionary. And as you're making 75 gallons of hot sauce, mm-hmm. what sort of investment do you have to make in order to, to pull this off? Is, um, are you digging into your savings to, to make this work? It was really not. I was really never a good saver. Um are you putting it on credit cards? Yeah, I was using credit cards in the beginning. And uh, yeah, just a couple thousand dollars or okay. thousands of dollars. Not like I mean, maybe $5,000 total. But a lot of sweat equity? A lot. Yeah. So I have to say, I, I have this feeling of like uh, welling up of joy. I'm so excited that one of my friends uh, took an idea and brought it all the way up to to the, whatever level of success you're at is way beyond what most people ever get to on running their own business. But I remember when we met, both you and I were kind of searching around for how are we going to make our way in the world? Right. What are your skills? So if you look back to 
six or seven years ago, we were introduced by our mutual friend, Travis Liebig, one of, mm-hmm. I think, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Where were you at seven years ago? What, what was going on in your life? Do you remember? It's 2000 and... I mean, or, or whenever, around 2011. Um, I was still working for my family business at the time. We had like a rental construction company down in Soulard, and I was trying to figure out where God was calling me or what I wanted to do because I was doing like a 30-day challenge of trying to create a company. I was really big in the challenge. That was a challenge part of my life, like 30 days to start a company, 60 days to get the best shape of your life. And I would just push myself to do these crazy things. So I was working for my family business, just leading like the finance and the HR and a lot of the sales. What do you think was drawing you to the 30-day challenges or 60-day challenges? I do better if I have like a goal in mind. Like I want to get a six pack. I've, I've never reached that goal, but um, I want to get in better shape. I want to start a company. I think it's just to push myself and to say I can do it. So there's a big thing I think that happens in your 20s, or at least I can say my 20s or 30s, early 30s, where I knew that I didn't have staying power, that to develop the habits to continue to do something over a long period of time, I never really had it. But I could Mm -hmm. generate enough enthusiasm to get myself to do something really difficult for a span of time. Oh, absolutely. And I remember watching your things being like, that it looks like Charlie and I have the same thing. I'm great in short short bursts. Like I can do some crazy things like, you know, go on a crazy diet or, or work out intensely. But beyond that, it's like I just fizzle. So then you had to make a giant transition to be able to go from 30 days doing this all the way out to two years ago, starting your own company. What happens as these 30 day challenges are going on and you're working with your family business? Yeah, well, it just uh, I got an opportunity to leave my family business at a point that the recession was sort of hitting and the business was was going down. So I got an opportunity to leave that. And from there, I, I, I worked at a place, didn't really enjoy it, worked for them like just temporarily. And after that, um, went and got a job working for a company called Oasis, which has since been bought out by now. But it's uh, like a professional, uh, professional employee organization. So what they do is it's like HR consulting insurance, but they group companies together. So there was a long process and there, a lot of highs and lows. Uh, my mom died in, in the middle of it. And uh, I just really didn't know where God wanted me to be in life. And I just wanted some stability. I think sometimes when you work for a family business or you hell, you even work for your own business, there's no stability there. That's the second time you've mentioned, you know, God's plan for you. Mm-hmm. That is somewhat rare. In fact, I think you're the first person to ever come on. Maybe one other person has talked about their relationship with God. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know if you know about you probably know about my history. I studied to be a Catholic priest for seven years. I had heard that. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's not just a rumor. So my faith is the foundation, and it's really made me wonder over the past couple of years, or specifically the last 18 months, on the struggles that I've faced, and somehow I've overcome them, and somehow the terrible things that could happen didn't happen. I mean, definitely struggles suck. Pain sucks. Waking up with no money sucks. But I think it's my faith that I believe God has a plan and everything will work itself out. And what, so tell the story about you were studying to become a priest. Why, yeah. why, why this route rather than why are you not a, why don't you have a white collar on right well, now? Well, um, I was the last generation of what was called a high school seminarian. 
So in high school, I actually moved up to Hannibal, Missouri, and I lived there at a boarding school, and I was taught by Franciscan brothers and, and diocesan priests. And so went there for all of high school, and then for college, I went to Kendrick Lennon Seminary. Was that your choice, or was your oh, family like, oh. Charlie, get out of here? No, no, no. My mom, uh, I remember when one of the priests was like, oh, Charlie should check out St. Thomas. And my mom was like, it'll be a cold day in hell before my son moves, my little baby moves away, because like it's a boarding school. I only came home every three months. Uh, internet wasn't that big. We couldn't use phones, but once uh, once or twice a month. So it was all letters and it really changed things. So going through high school, you know, you, you struggle with homesickness and you miss out on some quote unquote regular high school things like dating, going to a prom, homecoming. Um, and so I took high school. Then I went to the college level of the seminary in St. Louis. And I did that for three years. And it was just one of those things that as I looked back, it's like, okay, I've been here for seven years. I, I feel called like I would like to date. I've never experienced dating. I mean, maybe dated in like sixth or seventh grade, but that was just holding somebody's hand when you're going on a roller skate. And uh, so I decided to take a break to see if God was calling me to get married or to be single or maybe become like a monk. Um, so I dated around for a couple of years, finished my master's in HR. Um, and then miraculously, just one day I, I met my wife who I had no, uh, no interconnections with. Like it was, it was a fun day. I was at my townhouse and, um, at this point, I was running probably my first company. I had a recruiting company. I was running out of my house. And she just knocked on the door one day. It's like, hey, can you take our picture? And it was like my neighbors had her over to, to a girl's night out. And I remember as she left, I'm like, well, where's that cute girl later on the night? <laughs> and like, I didn't know anything about it. Like, I just was instantly drawn to her. And it was funny. A couple of weeks later, we actually went to church together. And as I'm walking down the aisle, getting ready to go to the pew, I could just feel God. He's like, Charlie, you're going to marry this girl. I'm like, I can't tell her that right now. Like, I just met her two weeks ago. But yeah, as life would have it, uh, we dated for a couple of years and and have now been married about nine years, nine or so. And is she the same temperament as you as like jump in with both feet, run for 30 days and then do something else? No, no. I Kelly is very, she's a very innocent and happy and organized and loving person, a sweet person. Um, but I'm the balls to the wall person. Like, I can't, I, and I think like as, as we'll get into like my own sobriety, like that's why I don't do well with alcohol. It's like, I don't have a switch. If I have one drink, I want another drink or I want a whole bottle. So it's like a balls to the wall or nothing. And so I think a lot of areas in my life, even like business or whatever I do, it's like, I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can to achieve whatever. Yeah. Kelly's the more calm one. She keeps me calm. And, and, uh, you both go to church now. Yes. You raise your kids going to church. Yeah. Are there very many people your age, our age, going to church right now? Um, I mean, we go to early church, so it's like 7.30 in the morning on Sundays. Um, I mean, there's a decent amount. I think it was probably more years ago, but there's still... I mean, I think the church is still thriving. We, we've got a, a, a bunch of kids in the schools and they do the athletics and stuff like that. Yeah, St. Louis is an interesting place because there's definitely a Catholic network around where yeah. there's where there's individual churches and people belong to their parishes and then those parishes interact with one another mm -hmm. it was not like where i grew up i grew up catholic as well but it was you that was the only catholic church in town and then there were a whole bunch of other churches and yeah. it was you know catholics and you didn't know any other Catholics. They either went yeah, to I your think church. It's a blessing in St. Louis because there are so many Catholic churches, and we have a beautiful cathedral, and it's just it's it's big. It's a it's a big Catholic town. And when you decided that you weren't going to become a priest, did that was that a difficult choice, or was it like ah, I'm getting married, I found a woman, or was it I'm leaving something behind? You're, I mean, it's one of those things that 
I had been doing it for so long and every single day I loved it. Like waking up, it's five o'clock in the morning, going to chapel and praying and mass and volunteer work and the studies. I loved it. Once I realized that that's not what God wanted me to, to do or to be, I'm like, I, I can't be here anymore. So it was within within like a two week time frame, I made that decision. It was very difficult. I was filled with a weird sense of joy because I, I could start experiencing things that I've never, I mean, allowing myself to do like date or um, stay out beyond a curfew or, you know, do have some, a little bit more freedom. But yeah, it was, it was really scary because at, at that point, figure when you're 21 years old, um, I had been raised in that setting. So most of my friends were in that setting. So it's like, I wasn't just leaving a vocation or leaving a school. I was leaving your whole tribe, everything. Like I was by myself. It was me moving back home, which I realized I hadn't lived at home full time since I was 13 at that point. So you were almost coming home as a stranger. So, and not really having, I mean, you had a home, you had parents and family, but I still have the bedroom, but like, like friends to hang out with. And and you didn't have that longevity of people that you went to high school with that you're still seeing. And right. So it was interesting. I mean, there are definitely still a couple guys that were in the seminary at one point or another with me and had left. And so I was able to hang out with them, but really it's almost like back in the world as a brand new person. Like I have to meet, make a lot of new friends. I have to reinvent myself. I'm not Charlie, the seminarian. I'm just Charlie, the regular guy. I'm got a job selling appliances at, at Best Buy and um, finished my philosophy and theology degree at SLU and just kept chugging. So I didn't, I guess I didn't realize you went to SLU. So we, both of us have that Jesuit education and the background in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Do you still read or think about like, is that something that you do today? Uh, philosophy? Yes. I, I, I never understood why I needed that degree because it doesn't, it's not like you get an amazing job once you graduate with a philosophy degree. But now looking back like 15 years later, whatever it is, the logic that it puts in your mind, how to, you can think about things differently and much more logically is, is definitely a game changer, especially in business or even in, in, in life, just regular conversations with people. Yeah. I mean, I, I was having a good conversation with my buddy Rob Long about this just last night. And we were talking about how philosophy ends up being like, giving yourself a calculator where you don't have to do all the rote work mm-hmm. to think through, Hey, I'm, I'm running into this problem. How should I handle it? You don't have to have all of the experiences to be able to, to choose the correct answer right. out of that. So it's like a bunch of the labor gets done for you. And when you find scholars, like the other day I was talking with somebody about, uh, their conf. So there is a thing called the the Corn Growers Association. Okay. So the Corn Growers Association, if you grow corn and you go to drop your corn off at an elevator to sell it, a certain really small percentage, we'll say one penny out of every dollar that you make, goes to the checkoff program. And then that checkoff program lobbies on behalf of your industry and and goes to the government and says, hey, things aren't going well for corn growers right now. You should help us you know, get the payments because the tariffs, mm-hmm. are, you know, all of those things. So, so you, they're a representative organization, a lobbying group for you and a marketing group. Well, he was saying, I am conflicted about what we're doing there because I don't really want our lobbying dollars to be propping up farmers for ourselves because I don't think that's good for our economy. Okay. And yet all of my friends are around and I don't want to vote against things that are there 
in their best interest. Right. And so I was able to say, well, have you ever heard of Rawls veiled theory mm-hmm. where I learned about this at, at Marquette, where they talk about you should, if you're ever going to make a decision where you don't know how you should lay out the rules, what you should do is lay out the rules and imagine that you have a veil over your eyes on if you were to be reincarnated, which side of this will you come out on? Will you be on the side of being a person living in the city, not making, not getting payments from the government for not growing corn or, or will you be a farmer? So that way you would create a world where no matter how it ended up, you would feel good about it because if you came back as somebody else, mm-hmm. you'd still be happy with those rules. Interesting. And that's the kind of thing you learn in philosophy that there's all these tricks that you, because right. he was like, Oh, I'd never really thought about that. And it allows you to keep yourself honest when you'd really like to set up the situation. So it just benefits. you. Oh, very much so. And I think like just the idea of what ethics is and, and learning all those things, but yeah, philosophy, I think is a wonderful foundation for business or for law or I think just general life. It just gives you that way to think about things differently. Yeah. The, uh, you were mentioning about, um, Catholicism and really just Christianity and and mentioned like sacrifice and suffering. Mm -hmm. Those are deep concepts that when you grow up with Christianity, you don't really understand that there are a whole bunch of concepts that are being handed to you that you really don't you, you mm-hmm. don't you don't even know that there would be a different way to think about it. Like, right, uh, like I'm going to offer it up or, you know, just sacrifice it right now. Right. As a little kid, you don't get that. That's right. But you you hear these things and you have this model of there is a way to give up the present pleasure in the present mm-hmm. for good things that you want in the future. That being a, a sacrifice. And I've been reading uh, Greek mythology recently. OK. And one of the interesting things that they have in Greek mythology is a whole lot of violence. Yeah. Right. Like there was definitely an emphasis in, in this culture before you have Christianity, before you really have Judaism spreading out, you have this sense that every once in a while, the collective group doesn't know how to deal with why are all these bad things happening? So they blame an innocent person and they scapegoat them. And then they send that scapegoat out into the world. And that is the sacrifice. But what you miss when you're just reading the mythology is they kill that person. Yeah. They drown them. They stone them to death. They do something terrible to that Probably person. Wasn't their best day. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and that that was the way that human beings dealt with, you know, the the all of the things that they couldn't understand so mm-hmm. that they could handle sacrifice, but that Judaism and then later Christianity gave a different way to think about that. Wait, the the ritual sacrifice has all been done. Right. You don't have to kill an innocent person anymore. We can do it in this other way. And you think about Christianity in today's day and age, you don't even have to be a believer in God to still be able to pull value out of the concept of sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can view it even like the simplest terms, like going to the gym, you know, you know, you're going to get hurt the first couple of times you work out because your body is stretching. But in your mind, you're able to justify that that sacrifice is going to be worth it in the end. And I think that's a, a lot with with religion and faith in general that, yeah, what, as you were saying, you sacrifice today for what you can potentially achieve tomorrow or down the road. You um, mentioned going to the gym. You have gotten in shape. And in fact, you still are in shape. You're looking really good, man. That's the entrepreneurship diet that you just refuse to eat sometimes. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm working out now, which is good. But there are so many times on that journey where like I just wouldn't eat. And and not eating has been your uh, your strategy to keep the pounds off. It's not even like a it's not even a strategy there. Like I just wake up, I'm like I'm not hungry. 
lunch rolls around. It's so easy as an entrepreneur to wake up, live off of coffee and go meeting to meeting, 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 meeting. And then eventually when you get home later in the evening and you know, the wife's making pizza for the family, you're like, well, I'm gonna eat pizza. And they just go right back to bed. And I was just in this cycle where that was my life, like waking up, living off of coffee, eating dinner, going to bed. What are these meetings like? Because you're going in and selling your yourself, right? Yeah, I, I sell myself in every single meeting. And that's the thing like I really enjoy about Hot Charlie's is like, you, you know, like the movie Tommy Boy. I talked about Tommy Boy's dad could sell a ketchup lollipop to a lady in white gloves. And I'm sure I butchered that. But um, I can't do that. Like, unless I believe in what I'm selling, I can't do it. Like, unless I believe there's value there, um, that's just something I can't do. So with regards to Hot Charlie's, like, I have to be on it. I am extremely genuine. People are going to love me for who I am or hate me for who I am. It's just, I'm just going to be myself. And so far, that's worked out well for Hot Charlie's. How do you get these meetings with people to say, I mean, well, maybe first of all, talk about the transition. Who was the first big order of Hot Charlie's or who was the first order of Charlie's? Well, we'll back it up a little bit. So August 2017, I, I launched my original sauce. October, I launched a ghost pepper sauce and realized whenever you launch a new product, that's $3,000 ish, depending upon how many you get. So this was an interesting thing. And then I'll segue into into the bigger accounts. So as I released the ghost pepper sauce at that point, like my tongue, I had lost sensitivity to heat and I didn't realize that. So there's a place in the city by slew called Southern. They have delicious fried chicken. So I had a job at the time. So went there with all my coworkers and I got it's called cluck and hot and they use ghost pepper. I'm like, I've been living off of ghost pepper the last like 90 days. I can eat this. So I was able to eat it fine. One of my coworkers grabbed one bite instantly ran to the bathroom. Oh, wait, you mean literally you had lost your I, I thought that you're well, it's like, just one of those things that you get desensitized. Like as you eat a bunch of spicy stuff, your your level of sensitivity isn't there. So like ghost pepper wasn't hot. But if I was to have a Carolina Reaper, that would hurt. So I ate the meal and I'm like, well, my coworker got sick. Maybe I'm going to regret this. And the next morning, I was supposed to be on Fox 2 at nine o'clock in the morning to go live that I released this ghost pepper sauce. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Sick. Um, throwing up ghost pepper and anybody that's thrown up, it, it's not fun if you oh, had, had a night of drinking or food poisoning, <laughs> but ghost pepper, it burns. And so that whole morning, I'm just like praying as I'm on my way to Fox 2. I'm like, please don't let me throw up. Please don't let me throw up. And as I got there, like I had the realization, like, well, what's the worst thing that happens? I throw up live on air. I'm like, that would go viral. People would be like, holy crap, that's the hot sauce guy that threw up on TV. Um, Man, that's an optimist way to look yeah, at that. That's the only way I could do it without passing <laughs> out. And so I did that and I ended 2017 in about four stores. It was four great stores. So the best for thing- local stores yeah. or and then you just walk in and say, can I talk to the manager? Would you? Do they buy it up front or yeah. do you buy shelf space or how does that work? No. So when you deal with like the small mom and pops, you just go in and you say, hey, this is my products. Will you try it? Do you like it? And the first four gave me that chance. Wow. Which was great. That had to be a big day for it, you. It was huge. And so ended that year great. Four, four months. Hot Charlie's was probably making enough money each month to pay for like a half a round of groceries. And then comes January and... Uh, I got a call from my company that they were eliminating my position and my division was more or less being bought out um, by a larger company. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, you lost your job. Yeah. In January 2018. So I went home while well, I was already at home because I was working from home at the time. 
And uh, I'm like, my wife doesn't get off till like six o'clock. I'm like, what the hell am I going to say to her? It's like, it, and like, I was wondering, is this God's like dare to be great moment? And I'm supposed to go balls to the wall with hot Charles. I'm like, I can barely, you know, make 70 bucks a month. And my wife was teaching, you know, preschool at the time. So it's like, we were not bringing enough money without my salary to pay the bills. And so told Kelly and more or less for the longest time I was applying, I probably applied to over 200 jobs. How did that conversation go that night? I'm like, hey, I lost my job or my my position got eliminated. Um, It's not going to be bad. We have some money saved up. And she's like, okay. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to apply to jobs. And at the same time, I'm going to try to grow Hot Charlie's and realize, okay, so hot sauces, barbecue sauces, seasonings, it's seasonal in the Midwest. So barbecue season, all those things move fast. Winter months, not so fast. So like trying to sell hot sauce in January, February wasn't Oh, big during right now, right? Like like, just football season probably getting up there. Yeah, so that's huge. So I was really like depressed and some cool things happened. Uh, I got got a random phone call in early February from Channel 5 and Dana Dean is like, hey, Charlie, I wanted to come out and do a special on Hot Charlie. So it was cool. She came out to the house. She interviewed me and Kelly on how we make the hot sauce or how I used to make the hot sauce. And that gave me like a little, little pick me up. And then it was like another month and I was just laying on the couch. Like I was seriously depressed and um, you ever seen the movie Billy Madison? Oh yeah. Okay. So he's in Miss Lippy's class in first grade reading about the dog that lost his yeah, You way. get out there and you find, you find that, that fucking, fucking dog. dog. <laughs> so I woke up one of these mornings. I'm like, I've got a mortgage. I've got two, you know, two kids, a wife, a hamster, two dogs. Like I have to do this shit. So I went out there and I hustled and I hate the word hustle. I think it's a douche word, but it was one of those things that like, that's all I could do. So I went out and in the next month I picked up like 20 accounts just loading Kelly's car up because I, I had a, a small Nissan at the time. She had a, a, a bigger Honda and I would load it up and I would just go out and sell. And like, I didn't care. Like I just, I need to You're just looking money. up on Apple Maps. Where's the closest store? And I'm going to go to I that would, store. I would do some research, like creep on some social medias and stuff and figure out good places to try to go into. But I didn't, the knowledge I have now is a lot different than what I had then. Then it was just like, I'm going to go everywhere. And so it was just a lot of struggle. And in the meantime, so that January, so a couple months prior, I had created my hot sauce dust with my bottler. And that's a dry version of my original sauce. And I approved it in January. And so I got a text in, in like March and he's like, hey, Charlie, he's like, your batch is ready. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I got your, you know, hundreds of bottles. I'm like, well, shit, I haven't even designed my label yet. And I had no money because I was broke. And um, so I figured, How broke? Um, I mean, I had... At that point, I wasn't broke. In my mind, I was broke, but I still had some money. I still had a couple thousand dollars. And so I made, I, I launched that, and that was a critical, a, a, a crazy success. Like that was flying more than my sauces were. And so over the next couple months, like here we're, we're going to get into like the, the biggest account early on. I was driving, it was May 2018, um, woke up. And uh, this is when, you know, you wake up to the poorness and I had a negative bank account and I'm like, well, I have to pay for groceries this weekend. And, um, Kelly doesn't get paid for another, another two weeks. Like what the hell am I going to do? And so I loaded up her, her car filled with hot sauce and, and seasoning and, um, had a half a tank of gas. And I remember driving to the city and I got an email from somebody and he said, Hey, Charlie's like, I've been following you on Instagram the last, you know, several weeks. He's like, I see you busting your ass every day. It reminds me a lot of what we did in our, and when we be our open our company, he's like, I want to put your products in all of our stores. Whoa. And they had 27 locations. And, um, 
that like I pulled over and I remember I was on Cherokee Street. I pulled over. and I started crying because like, who, who the hell am I going to call? My wife's working. All my friends are working. I didn't have entrepreneur. You know, I didn't have the friends that I have now that are entrepreneurs that they can, they can pick up a phone at two in the afternoon. And I just cried because like it's working out. And then I went and met with them. Super nice guy. And he's like, also, we want the same order next week. He's like, I know what it's like to be in your situation. And so from there, that sort of just gave me the momentum to keep going after bigger accounts, more accounts, and just it didn't allow me to give up. And so what what then? So that's the first level or mm-hmm. maybe the second level. You, you're out there selling. Then you get on this step. Mm-hmm. What's the next step up from that? When when do you start feeling safer? I don't know if I've ever felt safe like. I don't know. I, I did a podcast like a year ago. And again, I was only in 80 stores at the time. And um, I remember talking to him about entrepreneurship. I was like, I think if you were to describe entrepreneurship, it's like a disease because you don't think of things the way normal people do. Mm-hmm. You don't think it's normal to have like no money and to still believe that what you're doing has value. And so that was it every single day, getting out there and trying to find that fucking dog and getting these rare wins. Like I, I, I was. And were there people that would tell you no? Oh, yeah. I mean, you get that. Like Hot Charlie's. So the secret to hot sauce. OK, so this is for all your listeners that want to come out with hot sauces. The way you can make the most amount of money is by putting a ton of water and vinegar in your sauces because that's that's viewed as free. So Hot Charlie's has, has, is, is thick. So it's not a cheap sauce. It's a premium. It's a gourmet sauce. Well, it typically retails at $13.50 a bottle at stores. So yeah, like trying to go into stores that are used to selling like, like Tabasco is one of my favorite ones, but selling these tiny Tabasco bottles for like four or five bucks, like, well, why are we going to sell yours for $13.50? So it's like, it's not just getting people to buy your product, but it's getting them to believe that they're going to make their money back. Oh, because they have to put the the investment up front. Correct. You genuinely are selling yourself there. Oh you're, yeah, you're like they have to believe in me. So it, it, it's yeah, and it was interesting. So I was at a uh, my wife and I were watching Deadpool two at the movie theater, and my phone blew up, and everybody was like, "You have to go on your Facebook right now." I'm like, what the hell happened? And I think it was our it was our anniversary a couple of years ago, and it turns out Mike Johnson. The, one of the creators of Sugar Fire Smokehouses. They had won Memphis in May. They got first place in seafood. And for anybody that's not from St. Louis, Sugar Fire is like the barbecue place. You could go there at lunchtime on a Tuesday and there is a 45-minute wait oh, sometimes. I amazing. Mean, like, people love it. I, I, I amazing mean, food. I think they've got like 13 or 14 locations nationally now. They're yeah. just a great company. And he tagged me on Facebook and saying that they won Memphis in May. I'm like, oh, you know, good for you. And then he's like, he posted the recipe and it had hot Charlie's listed. Oh, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it, like I freaked out and it was, it was cool. But again, just one of those little moments that when you're down, that things just sort of help push you along. You know, one of the things that I observed that you have the, I don't know, gusto or, or courage. I don't know what it is or, or maybe just naivety. I, I don't know, but I remember watching you on on whether it was Instagram or Twitter, I remember seeing your videos and being like, he's putting himself out there. And if he doesn't succeed, everyone will watch him fail. Mm-hmm. That is ballsy. I'm going to go with the naivety. Uh, it's just. I, I, I had this whole realization. Um, so we'll, we'll back up a little bit. So when I launched Hot Charlie's, uh, January of 2017, my friends were pushing me to start it. Uh, 
March of 2017, I got sober, so I quit drinking alcohol. So when you stop drinking alcohol, whether you're an alcoholic or like the way I was, I just abused alcohol, I, I self-medicated. And so when I took the alcohol away, I realized that I was using it to self-medicate for my own struggles with like anxiety and depression. So then like it was like a whole 12 months of facing these socially awkward moments without alcohol and learning how to cope. Well, after about doing that for about a year and then I, you start becoming an, I, 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 I was an entrepreneur and I realized I'm putting myself out there. Then I'm like, well, why do I have these shields up? Like, I'm not always a happy person. I'm not always the most positive person. I, I mean, mostly I am, but there's these you things. You got to be the most positive person. <laughs> but there's all these things and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put all my, my shields down because I was thinking like that they were shields protecting me. But really what they turned out to be is they were just masks that we, they were hiding my inner self. Like I was just uber protective of myself. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to be myself. And when I made that decision, like haters came out of the woodwork, mean things started being said to me. Like I was so weak and vulnerable. Wait, people said mean things to you. Oh, I mean, I never saw any of this. Oh, you wouldn't. I mean, nobody would say, I mean, I don't, nobody talks about the mean things that, you know, haters and, and toxic people out there. But yeah, I, I got hit for like six weeks. And that's why like, you know, you do the Christian thing like, well, maybe that's just the devil trying to attack me because like it was just one thing after another that threw me into another depressed. I was depressed for about 30 days and uh, it made me stronger. So I think that's sort of thing that I realized, like being genuine is the most powerful thing that I can do in this world. That's the greatest gift that anybody can give. It's truly all you have is right. Is being themselves. So I'm like, I could be fake. I could get a regular job and nobody's going to give a shit about what I do. Or I can do something that I believe in every day, creating products that I can stand by that I know people are going to love and put my heart and soul into that. And like, if, if again, if, if it fails, I, I did my best. I, I So when you put out an episode or two of Sober Charlie's, mm-hmm. I got on there and, and listened and I stopped what I was doing. I was making dinner and I sat down in my dining room and I just listened to it because it was the first time I had ever heard a person that I really knew that, that I had you know spent time with before mm-hmm. that was like... This thing had a hold of me. I mm-hmm. was doing, I was coming home and being mean to my wife. Mm-hmm. I was waking up feeling hungover as shit. Right. And it made me like take a really hard look at like, do I have this problem? Do I have other problems that are like this problem? Mm-hmm. And I sat there thinking, damn, Charlie, you, you are, <laughs> you are like the, the gutsiest person that I know because. Um, while I think like doing a podcast, you can be pretty genuine. You talk about the Mm -hmm. books you're reading and the things you're working on, but I had never heard somebody be that candid. It was just one of those things that I, I really believed in my heart that, I mean, it, it took me about a year to open up about my sobriety. Like the first year I was just like, and that could also, were you afraid you'd backslide? No, I've never really been afraid of that. I just was afraid. Like, I didn't want the focus to be about me. It's it's not about me. Like, I just realized that el- it's the same thing like a celiac eating gluten. They're not going to do it because they're going to shit everywhere. I'm not going to drink because I, I ended up in handcuffs once and I didn't like that feeling. <laughs> um, <laughs> what happened? I didn't hear that. You didn't listen to the damn podcast, I, Dance. I have listened to it. I listened to the one when you were talking about uh, fighting with your wife. And I was. Oh, and it's like, yeah, I was just getting stupid arguments with Kelly and. Um, yeah yeah so launched i started creating the hot sauce for my friends in january 2017 uh march 2017 
it was a struggle day, like a lot of anxiety, stress at, uh, you know, Kelly was having some uh, a health scare and um, I just started drinking with some of my coworkers at the time and I kept drinking. And then she got the good news that she was, it was all clear. She was healthy. And I just kept drinking and then come to the evening. And I, I, this is, again, I could look back like I was self-medicating. I was avoiding reality because I didn't want to deal with the struggle. And I was just drinking and, uh, yeah, drove home and I talked to my wife on the phone, um, about two blocks away from my house. And, uh, within that time I ran into a utility pole, crashed my Jeep, flipped over probably a couple of times, uh, walked away, uh, pretty much unscathed and knocked the power out for multiple blocks <laughs> around the area. And so much Ooh. so that I got off the phone with Kelly and her and the kids were in the bedroom and the power went out and she's like, that was Charlie. And so she gets in her car. She couldn't, we didn't have power. So she had to force open the garage, drove up. I was in the ambulance and that sort of led to a whirlwind of an adventure uh, that evening, went to the hospital and when you when you get accused of like a DWI, you'll have a friendly police officer that goes to the hospital with you. Really nice guy. Um, and so after I got checked out, I was fine. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And he's like, well, I got to take you to jail. You got to get processed. And, you know, me being the smart ass, I'm like, well, will you at least let me play with the sirens? Because I had never been in a police car at the time. And no, they won't let you play with the lights and <laughs> sirens. Um, so I went to the jail. And as I'm getting ready to get checked out by the nurses and I go in the nurse's office and I'm like, I'm like, I know you. He's like, he's like, yeah, you're uh, you're Kevin's best friend. Like my best friend from seminary, it was his uncle. That was the nurse. <laughs> and uh, so I spent the next six hours at the county jail and it was interesting. It sucked. It was terrible. It was, you don't want to be in jail. Like it wasn't even a jail. It was a, whatever the holding cell um, food's terrible. Bathroom doors don't lock. Um, smells and i was getting ready to leave and i was sitting next to an african-american gentleman and he was uh asked me why i was there and i so i had i was dressed up for work so i had like a button up covered in blood for me and uh he's like what happened i explained yeah, you're okay. covered in blood oh uh, yeah i mean i, I look like i got in a fight but it was really just i got in a fight with my steering wheel um which if you ever get in a wreck jeep wranglers phenomenal cars um so i'm sitting there and i explained to the guy like why i'm there and he's like you know dude so shit happens. He's like, you didn't get you didn't get hurt that bad. You didn't kill anybody. And he's like, you, you know, God gave you the rest of your life. He's like, yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm wanted for attempted murder. He's like, but I believe that I got, you know, got stuff figured out, too. So like, here's his perspective. He's wanted for attempted murder. <laughs> Him and I are getting ready to leave the jail at 730. And I'm like, <laughs> so, yeah, so my wife picked me up, got home, slept most of the day. And this is when I started realizing that I had a problem with alcohol. Not, not like not the accident. The accident. I'm like, I could I could blame that on. Oh, it was stress. Eight hours from getting out of jail, I'm like, I can go for some wine. And thankfully, my wife had thrown away all the wine. And I had to uh, fly out of town that weekend for a, a promotion I just got. So I was I was out of town. I was still drinking semi-regular. And it just over the next three weeks, um, it just clicked. And I remember being at a wedding with my wife. It was a Sunday evening. And I had, you know, two drinks, like a, two vodka tonics. I remember this. I remember sitting there and I didn't say anything. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be the last time I ever drank for the rest of my life. And I woke up and I went and saw, you know, a psychologist I was dealing with. And I went to an AA meeting and uh, I've never drank again. And the, the thing is with sharing that story is the hope 
that somebody out there that might be struggling with alcohol or might be struggling with drugs can realize that even like when even when you're sitting in jail believing that your life is over you have a choice to make it better like we we can all we can all, all we can do is bounce back when you thought about uh the sahara desert or maybe you didn't perceive it that way of being like i'm never going to drink again was that a big mountain in front of you or was it was it obvious it was, was it going to be easy or was it, it going was, to be hard it was twofold like i had tried so many times in the past to quit drinking like i would make it 30 days i'd make it nine months um, but it never really clicked and with this like i could say like i'm never going to drink again but the reality was i just took it one day at a time and all of a sudden one day turned into a week and then six months and then like you know now it's been two and a half years and i'm very very grateful for that. Yeah, I uh, I picked up the terrible habit of smoking cigarettes in high school, mm-hmm. and then I smoked in college, and then on and off afterwards. And and when I finally quit, I came to the realization that uh, I wasn't quitting smoking forever. I just wasn't smoking the next cigarette. Right. And that's a great way to look at it because it's the only thing you can do, right? You can't quit. Well, somebody else may have have a different thing, but for me, it was like, I can't quit forever. That's too hard, but I can quit the next one. And every single time that comes up, that's just one little decision. One little decision. And that's the same way. Like I apply it sometimes to the gym. Like I may not work out every single day of my life, but I'm just going to work out this one time. And you take it from there. And it's interesting you're bringing that up. I was meeting with a psychologist, last, a psychologist friend of mine last week, and we're talking about addiction. And he said, in my experience, the only way to solve addiction is through consequence. Like typically people like if you're struggling with heroin, they get arrested or they get. Um, what's the stuff called? Narcan. They get Narcan. Like those can be those wake up calls. You know, alcohol, you get, a, you get arrested. Um and I don't know really what I think about that because I, I want to I want to think that I'm stronger than that. But like I look back at my own history of drinking, like well I got in a car accident, uh, got arrested, had to deal with the courts and all that fun stuff, and that sort of you know imp- emboldened my choice to quit drinking. It's an interesting thing when you get into the what's going on behind the scenes in your mind because so I I recently in the last I don't know eight months or so took up the practice of meditation Mm -hmm. which I always thought was like mumbo jumbo but really it, it is just take a little bit of time to be contemplating who is the thinker of the thoughts right right because and to realize that not your thoughts don't necessarily come from truth and and that's exactly right right. because they're they're just there right right? they just it's it's almost as though you are a human being that is being operated by some voice in the back of your head which doesn't always give you all of the information and the funniest thing about something like alcohol or smoking cigarettes or, or doing hardcore drugs is that no one would choose to be that wildly out of control. Right. Right. Like you might choose the the euphoric sensation you get as you're having the first couple of drinks and everybody's having mm-hmm. fun, but nobody would choose to be out of control of like, uh, you know, those people, maybe you've been that or I've been that for sure at a bar where you bought another drink and a rational person would be like, you that will not increase your fun any more than right. it is right now and you're going to pay for it tomorrow. Right. Then why is the thinker of the thoughts making that decision right and that's like one thing like when i was drinking i would always wake up most not all the time but most mornings like regretting like well, what did i say last night did i was i a fool of myself it is so nice waking up and i'm like ah if i said anything stupid last night at least i remember it now and it gets it's empowering and 
it's been interesting since becoming more vocal vocal with like sobriety or mental health the amount of people that reach out to me that are struggling or that just open up a conversation like hey you know i was drinking last night and i was just you know thinking of you and just like it just opens up their mind to thinking, okay, do I need to cut back? Do I need to stop this? And like, that's it. Cause like so many people think that they have to drink to have fun. And that's the farthest from the truth. Like that's where it's like, I always respect, I always respected my wife. Like we could watch a blues game. She could open up a beer at the beginning of the game. And at the end of the game, it's, it's still there. And I can open a bottle of wine. And by like the third period, I'm like, Oh, do I have another bottle of wine? Is this going to last me before bedtime? But like, that's where it's like, you People are everybody's wired differently. Yeah, that's definitely right. There are some people that when they start having that first drink, they get so much of a good feeling. They're so much happier than other people Mm -hmm. that even if you're not drunk, you're feeling that like happy. Hey, I I know things are headed in this direction. Whereas there's other people, they they just don't they don't get that. Right. So um, one of the things that happens when people quit drinking is it changes their friend groups. Did Mm -hmm. that happen to you? I think when you th- when you say that early on, I believe that like, oh, it would be like a quick thing. Like you you quit drinking on a Monday by Friday, you lose all your friends. It, it doesn't happen like that. So if you're if you're concerned about quitting drinking, it doesn't happen that fast. But it does. It does happen. But like it, it was so many different things were going on at the same time. I quit drinking. And so here's like the cliche thing. I gave up the sauce to make the sauce so that energy (laughs) and time I was putting towards drinking. I shifted that towards hot Charlie's. And so I don't know if it was necessarily the drinking that pushed certain people away or the entrepreneurship that just took my time away. But like I just went a different path. And like the people like that I would hang out with a couple of years ago. Yeah, they're still my friends. The people that I would drink with primarily to go out to bars and hang out with them only drinking. Yeah, I don't see them anymore. But for the most part, my friends are still there. The the social aspect of it with uh, so I go to a lot of conventions or, mm-hmm. you know, where the, it's for the people that are coming there. It's their one time away from the farm, right. or from the laboratory or whatever. So they're having drinks. And it used to be when I made the rule when I travel, I, I almost never have any drinks. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just because I need to be sharp the next day. I want to make sure if somebody's paying for me to be there that I am as present as I can be. But I remember when I first started thinking, well, it's going to be harder to talk to other people. Yeah. But what you don't realize is if you just wait till they've all had two drinks, then you've still got your wits about you and they're a lot more loose. I was so scared about that in the beginning. Like I was scared about a lot of things. Like if I quit drinking, will people still hang out with me? If if I quit drinking, will I still be as sociable and confident at parties? And yeah, like I think in the beginning, you're, you're more so hit with anxiety, like social anxiety, like where you overthink it too much. But like now I can say I'm just as confident, if not more and more present to people's conversations than I ever was when I was drinking. So it's almost like these lies that our mind tell us, well, if you don't drink, you know, you're not gonna be able to do this. Like, no, you're you're a liar and you just do your own thing. One of the the things that has happened that as far as I can tell is that you put a lot of your time and energy into really creative marketing. Like, yeah, you you are you're not just running around selling for some reason. I mean, you are all over my social and I'm always happy to see it because it's like, oh, hey, Charlie's working. He's doing something. Talk about what your what your inspiration is. Why did you come up with the idea to send the bow tie 
um, hot Charlie's. Like, where where does this come from? I didn't know what else to do. I think like like realize my path of entrepreneurship is not like the typical person. Like typical person, they're gonna create a business plan. They're gonna have money set aside. Everything is gonna work mostly eighty sixty to eighty percent of the plan. Me, I'm like. Fuck it. I'm going to jump in the water. I don't know how to swim and somehow I'm going to I'm going to keep afloat. And what I've realized over time is I'm more comfortable struggling in the pool than I would be if I get out and find a regular job. So like the marketing with like John Pertzborn, I'm like, well, what would I want to hear if I was to get something randomly in the mail? Like, ah, he, he knows me, he knows I wear bow ties. And honestly, with a lot of the things that I've done, it's just I put myself into it. And it was cool. Uh, like another big win um, a few months after I launched this, this, this girl I didn't know at the time was tagging me on Facebook or my company. She's like, oh, I found my secret ingredient for the World Food Championship. And I didn't even know what the World Food Championship is, but it's a it's a World Food Championship that people compete in like steak or chili. Well, she used my chili in her winning dish. Like She actually won. I remember screaming at my house. I was on my recliner watching it. With, and Kelly's like, what are you screaming about? Like she won. And so it's like you just... I don't know. I, I'm a firm believer. If you give more out there, eventually things come back. And I just try to be the most genuine version of myself and p- treat people with respect. And if I can do that, like, so when I was in the seminary, we had spiritual directors. So like priests um, that would guide us on the spiritual path. And mine eventually became a bishop. And I remember talking to him I'm like, well, how how do you sleep at night? And he's like, well, he's like, before I put my head on the pillow, I say, God, you know, did I give you my all? If I can say yes, he's like, you should be able to sleep soundly. And so that's sort of been my focus. Like even like another part of that prayer I say now is, you know, God, you've gotten me this far. Please don't let me fail. And I just, every single day, I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm imperfect. I know there's things I could have done or should have done. But if I keep dwelling on the things that I could have done, I will never do the crazy things that I do every day. Cause like, but like I operate the best in fear. Like when I had money, um, I mean, I have money right now, but it's like there was times in the past couple months where like I have a decent amount of the bank account and I noticed myself getting comfortable and I'm like, am I missing anxiety right now? Like almost like you get addicted to that feeling. Well, like, you know, bank account went low last month. So what did I do? It's like I went out there and I found that fucking dog and you sell and it's just it, just being yourself like that. I don't know. At, at the end of the day, like that's all that I'm trying to do is just be the best version of myself. So you had a big win, or as far as I could tell, it looked like a huge win. There are pallets of your yeah. of your product going out. Tell the story about what, I mean, are you able to talk about that? Yeah, I, I can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was back in June, and I had enough money to last me till July, end of July. Like, wow, man, <laughs> I didn't know that this was going on with this you. This is the life. Yeah, this is, so anybody out there, if you're watching, you want to be a hot sauce salesman. This is, it, it sucks. Um, yeah, so I was, I was going to Walmart, we're going grocery shopping and I was walking in and I was talking to my wife and like, Kelly, I want to go national. I was like, I think it's great with what I'm doing right now, but the way I can really cover us financially and grow my brand is if I grow nationally and Kelly's like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. She's supportive, but she hears me talk so much. And she so, sounds like a saint actually. Oh, she is. Yeah. You meet her. You're like, oh, and so went into Walmart. Okay, this is how I view just God. I left Walmart. I get a call from the state, cap- Missouri State Capitol, Department of Agriculture. Hey, Charlie, what are you doing next Wednesday? I'm like, I don't know why. What's up? Like, well, we've got Home Goods. They're coming in town, and we've selected you. They said they wanted to meet with you. 
I'm like, okay. So 30 minutes. I don't think God. How does the Missouri Department of Agriculture know who I just, you are? You network. Like, it's just a weird thing. Like, I just network with people. And so Missouri has this wonderful program. It's called Buy Missouri that encourages and supports like small businesses. Like we get together once a year. If there's opportunities internationally or nationally, they'll coordinate that. So yeah, they reached out to me, went to the meeting the next week. And uh, a lot of people were telling me just to view it as like practice. Like this is your one time to practice in front of a billion dollar company. And my mind, I'm like, this is my one way to cover my bills and to pay for my, my groceries and school supplies and all the you know, dog food. And so I went to the meeting and I was just myself and we were just being smart asses and talking about all sorts of stuff. And I left the meeting with the biggest order I've ever received. Uh, as of last week, it rolled out to pretty much 800 stores throughout the country. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. At that point, if they're buying one bottle a piece at 800 stores, that's a lot of bottles. Yeah, so of- figure, yeah, pallets and... Uh, yeah, it was great. But it's one of those things. And I maybe other entrepreneurs, I think that they can relate with me on this is I can't get excited anymore. Like I can't get excited. Like, like, okay, so May of this past year, I released a national popcorn. And that was another weird. I'm giving this to God. Like, there's so many things on my journey. That I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I can't logically explain it. So the popcorn came about, uh, they were introduced to me through some mutual connections. And we worked for nine months on research and development for this popcorn. I had to shift my manufacturing up to Wisconsin. So I have a manufacturer that I use up there, all this stuff. So when that released in May, or maybe it was April, like it was cool. But like, in my mind, I'm like, well, I still got to pay the groceries next week. Or what about the groceries next month? And like, so like, that's where like, my mind is still trapped right now. And I'm sure this is just a phase of entrepreneurship that I'm in. And once like some of these larger accounts come on or they reorder, then that sort of goes away. Because as the the stress and anxiety of finances go down, I've noticed my enthusiasm and passion and like focus towards business have just blown up. So it's almost like, yeah, like, so it's cool. Like as businesses get more successful, like I think that's where you understand like momentum comes in. Like, wow, that person's really blowing up. I mean, they don't see the suck and the struggle and the negative bank accounts that the person's experienced. They just see, oh, well, holy shit, they're, you know, they're in 800 stores. But it's like, it's been all that struggle that allowed me to be myself in that meeting because I had nothing else to lose. What habits did you f- have to develop in order to be able to get to where you're at now? Um, I, would, I don't know if one of them could, I want to like sell myself short and just say I'm really, really ignorant that I don't know how to, have you ever seen like Ernest goes to camp and, or even Bart system like scratches on the chalkboard and gets smacked in the back of the head. Uh, I can't stop. Like I believe too much in it and I've, I've applied to jobs like 200 jobs, even a couple months ago, nothing's worked out. And I'm like, I'm just viewing that as a sign. Like, God, you know, I, I gave you myself. I'm applying to these jobs. They, they'd be kind of cool, but they've never worked out. And somehow something's come in at the right time, every single time. So what's next for Hot Charlie's? What are you, what are you doing to, to keep going, to keep just, that enthusiasm just going? Just a lot of crying. Um, the next things for Hot Charlie's is I'll be releasing uh, three new seasonings in the next couple months. And that'll be really cool. Um my goal is to grow more nationally. Um, there's how, how do you do that? You get in front of more home goods. Yeah, you. Yeah, home goods is like an anomaly. Most companies aren't that 
quick. And I mean, they, they are super, I mean, home goods people, they're super nice, like the nicest people I've met at the largest level. And uh, typically the way you get in other, other stores, if you have a product, you work with a broker, you can definitely go store to store and sell it like the, your smaller mom and pops or maybe locations that maybe own like 60. But to get to the ones that over own over like 100 or the major chains, you typically have to work with a broker or somebody that introduces you. And do you think you'll go with a broker? You'll think you'll start getting introduced? Or are you going to keep going? The It'll be everything. Grind? It'll okay. be everything. I will work with a broker. I will do my own thing. Because at the end of the day, if I don't, if I don't support my family, I mean, nobody else, I mean, my, my wife will, but it's like, we need to work together. We have to be a team. I heard a really interesting um, podcast the other day. My friend Chris Oliver was being interviewed and the guy said to him, what is the thing that you wish you were better at? Well, in the beginning, I would have said, I wish I was better at patience. Um, when you just start a business and then you struggle financially, you want everything now. But I can look at everything that's taken time. It has been so much better down the road, like where I can look back and say, okay, because I struggled with that, it made me do this here. Because I adjusted this ingredient for this product, it's it's allowing me to get into this this area. Um, in the beginning, it would definitely been patience. Um, I'm not the most detail oriented person. That's where it's great having Kelly because she's so organized and detailed. Like when it comes to like fulfilling packages. Um, when we were doing that at home, like she was so everything looked great. I'm just not that organized. It'd be cool if I could be more organized because I think my thoughts would be a little bit more organized. But then it's like, I know with with each gift that you have, then something else is going to suffer. And like I can say, like, I truly love being extremely charismatic and excited and like Jojo, the Indian circus boy, like from Tommy boy. And I don't know. I mean, every day is an adventure and it's been one hell of a roller coaster, but yeah, it's been really cool. What are uh, you got some tattoos? <gasps> yeah, so yes, yeah, so, so this one is gratus. Uh, that's Latin for grateful. So I got that at my one year of sobriety, and then this one says "suship I may," which is like "take, O Lord, and receive." I got that at my two years of sobriety. Um, I've got a couple other ones on me, but it's all Catholic, mostly Catholic symbols. And, uh, and the marking the days of sobriety, is that, uh, still something you do in your head? Do you, do you count out how many days it's I did been in or? the beginning? Cause I was really excited. Probably like the same way when you quit smoking, you'd remember, Oh, it's been a, a day or 30 days. Yeah. Now so, I couldn't even tell you right, how long like, it's been. Like yeah. I have an app that tracks like when I put my sober date in there. Um, I don't really pay attention to it as much anymore. Once I hit the, uh, the, the one year mark, that was huge. Once I hit two years, it was like, Okay, it's not that big of a deal. I just don't drink like you because you think it's such a big deal to be sober in the beginning. Like, holy shit, I, I'm like the weirdo at the party now. But after a couple of years, you're like, yeah, I just don't drink. It, it doesn't. I mean, but also we get older. Our surroundings, we're not around the bar scene as much. So it changes. So right before we started, you were telling me about some articles that are coming out about you. You are in the news. I mean, as far as I can tell all the time, how how does that happen? Just be yourself, like email people, it's mail stuff to people like uh, St. Louis magazine is supposed to be coming out with an article, uh, knock on wood um, in the next, it, it should be out right now. And they've been cool. Like I met, I, I remember right when I was launching hot Charlie's and I was going on sales calls, I just tweeted at the guy who's the, the editor. And I ended up going to his office, introduced myself, gave him some of my products and it's just sort of gone from there. But like, you know, over time you sort of develop these relationships with certain media people and you know who if you email a press release to who's going to push it out 
Um, Fox two has been phenomenal with regards to whenever I want to come on for a segment. If, if, if the story is right and if they have timing, they'll usually try to squeeze me in and it's just fun. Like I, I wish I could give an example, like a real reason on how I did this, but like, I didn't do the traditional way, like the traditional way a business hires a PR firm. They write the press release. They email it to their email list. They they help you. And I'm like, I can't afford that. So I'm like, I'm going to email these anchors or I'm going to follow them on Twitter or I'm going to tweet at them. Social media has been phenomenal for that. Even with a lot of my retailers, what I've noticed is, especially on the, the smaller level, if you can get connect, if you can message them between like seven and nine o'clock at night on Facebook, like their business page, it's typically the owner that's going to re- like the decision maker that's going to respond. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because they're at home. They're, they're at home. They're like just chilling, playing on Facebook. And like, who's this? You know, that's been a, a, a great. Oh, one. brilliant idea. Yeah. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what you've learned about social media. You're on Facebook stories, uh, like what's your philosophy behind what you put there and what are you talking about? How many people are watching? Um, so yeah, so like hot Charlie's like on another level, I don't really like social media, but on, on this level, uh, the marketing is huge. Like Instagram, that's where it's at. In my mind, that's where it's at because it doesn't cost money. Um, so with Instagram, I've maybe got like 1500 followers or maybe a thousand, something like that. Um, but it's cool because on my general feed is just typically like marketing stuff, like places that are like Strange Donuts is doing a special this weekend. Strange um, Donut is the the St. Louis donut shop. It's like yeah, the, the cool, crazy, hip, cool, yeah. hip donut place. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. So they're doing a special this weekend. So like that's what's on there today. Or like if High Point or certain restaurants do certain specials or if I get into a new location like that's it's like the highlight reel is what you're going to find on my on my feed. But if you watch the Instagram stories and that transfers directly over to Facebook stories is that's like the behind the scenes. That's where it's like people I will depending upon how I'm feeling, I will share some of the stuff that I can um, like the behind the scenes stuff, like me yeah. driving to places or what I'm working on. But like it's 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 hard. It was a lot easier in the beginning to say, oh, I dropped off stuff here. I dropped stuff off there. But like now there's so much like I focus so much of my time on research and development, like coming out with new products. Well, I don't I don't ever share what the new product is until like a week before I release it. So that could be like two months down the road. Like I can say like, you know, I got three products for you to try after the show, but like they may not hit the market till October. What what is R&D like for making a new it's spice it is so fun like you f- you think in your mind like what would be a cool spice to be out there and then you start playing with it and you know where i've gotten to at my level you know i have relationships with these manufacturers and i have relationships with food scientists and i'm able to explain like the flavor profile that i want then they create that and then i make tweaks to it like do i want it more granulated do i want it more finer do i want you know color you know because i use turmeric to make mine orange like this this new season i'm coming out with in a month and a half it's i, I remove the turmeric so it's more of a lighter color and it looks really cool and it's just it's just playing with stuff. But like then also realized like two years ago, like I was afraid of cooks. I sucked at mac and cheese and I'm, I'm a lot better now on mac and cheese. And it's fun. Like the seasoning side is fun. There, there are some really interesting schools out there that have um, that teach students how to do this. So I've gotten a chance to go to 
uh, a lot of land grant universities, they'll have like a food science program. Yeah. And then you get to go into those laboratories where they have a wall and a kitchen on one side. And then they open it up and slide it through. Have you have you I've been never a- been I've never seen the Wizard of Oz. I've only been beyond the gate. Oh, we'll have to find a but, university to send to but send it's you to. Cool. Yeah. Like, and especially how these people's tongues work, like how they're so sensitive. And I can tell them a flavor profile. And if I if when I try it, if I taste a hint of something, they can reduce something like they know like it's just like it baffles me like it like what an awesome gift to be able to do that yeah and it's uh it's definitely a refined art i mean there are students yeah. that at at a lot of that like i been went to one in madison uh wisconsin i went to one down in uh oklahoma like they're just these the students are learning and i wish my school would have had that mm-hmm. you can even apply to be a taste tester and you just show up and some days you're eating tomatoes and other days you're ice cream or hot dogs or whatever it's fun uh like the seasoning like my record is i can go from an idea to a product launch in 21 days including um label creation and waiting for the labels to be printed so well that's got to give you a tremendous advantage over the big brands like yeah it's 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 tremendously it's fast but it's like i can't I can't put that much pressure on so many things at the same time. Like Home Goods wanted to come out with my seasoning. And I'm like, well, I created this this hotter sauce dust seasoning. Would you be interested in that? And I'm like, well, yeah. So it's like I had to explain that to my manufacturer, get him to do the label, t- uh, the the sample test, get that information to my label people, get the labels to my manufacturer, get the thing scheduled, and then get everything shipped out. It was scary. Like it was stressful. I mean, this truly is a form of a hero's journey, right? Where you went down into hell and had to oh. face the demon of you got to get into details. You yeah, know, you don't get to have a business. You don't get the freedom. You don't get the the uh, being at the top of the mountain unless you learn how to handle details. Yeah, and you real like you read so many of these entrepreneurs' stories like where they talk about like you know you have to earn your place, and I always thought that was total bullshit and then i look at my journey i'm like wow this just sucked so it's like when bad stuff happens it doesn't ruin my day anymore but like a year ago it would it would hurt and now i'm just like i've made it this far like what's the worst thing that could possibly happen i would have to get a job like i have i have nothing like that that's not the end of the world i mean it sounds like you're you're doing great and you're definitely on a trajectory what are you uh what are you reading these days where do you get your news from if if people wanted to know what comes in what's the incoming signal to charlie uh my favorite book is the alchemist okay have you read that one no really come on that's a great philosophical book uh really empower really powerful um so i've been reading that i reread that uh reading another book people over profits i think that's what i'm reading right now profit first where you take the profit of your business first and it's 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 interesting um i read a lot of weird stuff like any news whether it be Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, I will read all of them just because I know they're all skewed in their own little ways. Um, I don't really watch too much TV. I like diners, drive-ins, and dives right before bed. Uh, I'm, I, that, that is hilarious that you mentioned that because 
you know, uh, I watch that whenever I'm on a plane mm-hmm. and I'm flying home from somewhere. So if I'm flying to somewhere, I'm like, I'm working, I'm in the, I'm yeah. in the zone, I'm, I'm preparing, but on my way back when I'm just like, ah, I can watch whatever I want, I'm going to watch this. And I know yeah. everybody gives Guy Fieri a hard time. Oh, he's great. Like yeah. I can watch it like right before bed. Like that's, I, I put that on when I'm like 10 minutes away from falling asleep. I'm like, I'm going to fall asleep to Guy. But like having two kids in the house, like Kelly and I don't really get to watch our own shows too much. And so it's like that little bit of time right before bed. I'm like, okay, this is when. Have you ever seen that comedian talk about why does everybody give Guy Fieri a hard time? No. Oh, God. It is hilarious. I'll see if I can't find a link and put it in the notes. It is like. He's like the nicest guy in the world. All he does is go around and give free publicity to all right. these free diners and people are giving him shit. People are mean it. It's terrible. <laughs> but yeah, so I like that. But yeah, that's that's it. Like most of my day is just focused. Like I go out, I meet with people, I try to create new things. Yeah. I uh, I read a book a few months ago and then Travis actually sent it to me in a text message. And I was like, dude, this is the book I was telling you about that I I recommend. I um, It's called The War of Art. And it is all about... Is that an old book? It, no, it's not The Art of War. Aha, it's, it's, that's where it was. Okay. It's, the, it's the play of words on that. But it's really saying if you're going to do creative work, how do you develop the system so that you aren't just sitting around waiting for the muse to hit you mm-hmm. of like how am I going to do something creative? And instead you set up your day and your situation so that you force yourself to be in a, in a situation where creativity is going to come and you're going to get it there. And it, I would highly, that's highly really good because book. like the way I operate like hot Charlie's social media, it's like whenever I, it's like a spur, it's a spur of the moment. Like whatever's on my mind, that's what I will post. Well, and he goes into, and it made a lot of sense to me of if you are waiting for your emotions to be the right ones, Mm -hmm. then you're just, you're just waiting for a storm to happen to come by and, and give you rain. When in fact you should be applying some level of discipline. It's just like when you finally like, so, um, I made the decision at the beginning of the year that I was going to run 500 miles. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not. I I was reading David Goggins's book, okay. Can't Hurt Me, which which is another great great read. And I decided I want to be a runner, but I don't know what it takes to be a runner. Like yeah. I, I've never run enough. So what would be enough that if if I heard somebody say they ran X number of miles, that I'd be like, Yeah, you're a runner. And I was like, Five hundred miles. If I heard somebody ran, that is a miles, crazy amount of miles. Well, and like, I'm not being like. <laughs> Vance is a runner like holy shit that guy runs no but I mean it's really not you know 365 days in a year it's just like one point you know three miles or something like that but so how are you doing so far so I'm 415 miles in and really yeah so so I've got about 85 miles left to go and one of the biggest oh, lessons that I learned in that and I read about it in Goggins is but it didn't make sense until I read the war of art which is if you wake up in the morning and you say there is a decision to be made whether or not I'm going to go running. Mm-hmm. You've already lost the fight. Right. What you really should be doing is you wake up in the morning and you go run. It doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's cold. It doesn't matter if it's hot. All of those factors do not count in unless it's like life or death. I literally cannot go out there. And that made it so it was like once I took the decision off of my plate, running was that not is a problem. really interesting so do you know uh, have you heard of the name andy frisella no okay so he is the one of the owners of first form so supplement superstores they're in yeah. St. Louis. So yeah, first yeah. form is their national brand protein stuff like that really highly successful entrepreneur well he created this challenge like six months ago it's called 75 hard so for 75 days straight you work out 
twice a day for 45 minutes. One of those workouts has to be outside. No excuses. Read 10 pages in a book, follow a diet, drink a gallon of water and take a progress picture every day. Well, when I was doing this, I I started doing this back in June. And I really credit this a lot with me being able to do so well at the home goods meeting because I was, I I think before you make all these excuses, well, I can't work out because it'll take away from my family. I can't work out, it'll take away from my business. I don't have the time. All these excuses. You're having the argument in your mind. They're all all bullshit. They're all lies. As we talked about earlier, the thoughts that go through our head, like they're not all true. And so like I just started doing that, like my mental clarity and focus and attention, my confidence was highest than than it's been in like years. And like, I think there's so much truth to that. If we just take the, the decision out of it, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it. And I think there are so many positives to that. Well, that book, The War of Art, uh, he names it. And uh, it's really funny. When I encountered this book, I had been at uh, like a dinner and I was talking to my friends like, hey, you, what is what would you name that voice in your head that says, you don't have to go for a run, you know, you know, now like, remember your ankle hurts a little bit, you know, right. it's, or it's too cold out. And everybody was like, I don't know. And I was like, but you have the voice, you know, the voice that I'm talking about. And they're like, yeah, I know it. Well, in that book, he names it and he calls it the voice of resistance. And it was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, once I have a name for it, then when it pops up into my mind, I can be like, oh, and this, of course, that's just the voice of resistance. Yeah, that's really good because I, I can even view all the obstacles that I've ran into with hot Charlie's like, there's so much, there's so many, there are so many, there were so many moments looking back that I thought that if I was explaining what I was going through, somebody would be like, well, it's, it's justified if Charlie wants to, you know, turn it, you know, throw in the towel. Like I could justify that to myself, but like we may, you name the voice, you make that decision and then you just keep going. And I think that goes back all the way to the part of the conversation we were talking about the value of a Jesuit education. Mm-hmm. The, there's that phrase um, in logic, the very first day of logic class. And I did I not remember. like logic, by the way. Oh, man, I love that. I, class. I, I enjoyed the class. But once it started where you had to annotate, like, you know, did you have to do that? When you yeah, took- there are silly things that they do. I didn't like that. But the very first day of logic class that I particularly liked was when they said um, he who controls the definition controls the argument. Yeah, because. Then all of a sudden you start realizing that the chapters in the Bible, like uh, in the very beginning when Adam and Eve name the animals Mm -hmm. and then they have dominion over them, right? If you and I are having a disagreement, whoever gets to decide what the word is means or or what it is that we're arguing over, you have real power in that conversation because you're the one that kind of controls how the rest of the logic is going to play out. And I thought just by naming resistance, just by giving it a name... I could now identify it. I could pull that voice out of all of the other voices that are going on in your head and be like, that's not the one that I need to listen to. That's the one that's going to keep me. I mean, that's just the mental strength right there is huge. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the case for audible and podcasts are some of the greatest innovations to have happened in the last 10, 15 years is because now there's no excuse for not getting exposed to really good ideas mm-hmm. because those books, those things that you're reading, the the pe- the person that gets you to do the challenge where you're drinking all the water and right. exercising, like you, if you are around those places and then you respond positively to those things, your life gets better. If you make the right all the way back, if you make the right sacrifices right. in the present, then you advance in the future and you need somebody else to tell you these are good sacrifices to make. You need to apply it to your own life. Right. 
but it really helps me to figure out which sacrifices should I make. Right. And it's always a learning experience, like what sacrifices are actually worth it, what are not. Um, but yeah, it's always a thing like every day, one after the other, trying to be better than I was the day before, than you were the, the day before. I mean, the fact that you've ran that much, that's probably more than I've ran my entire life. Um, it's So people had told me this so many times, but I never believed it. And the the line that comes to mind is, I have so many good ideas and they're just five miles away. And all I have to do is run five miles and and then all of a sudden my mind crack it's actually three miles. So you run, you know, more than two and a half miles out and you're coming back mm-hmm. and all of a sudden your brain's like, I can do that and I can call that person and the thing I was worried about over there, that's all gone. That is I mean, this is just really interesting that you're talking about this because that's the exact same thing that I was experiencing when I was doing the seventy five hard. Like my mental awareness and all those things, like everything started working up there. That's interesting. Well, and and I remember the the thoughts that I would have in my head about not exercising. I mean, there was a time in my life not that long ago where actually pre January 1st of 2019, where running three miles would be enough for me to be like, I've done all the work I need to do for a week, you know, like, (laughs) and now I think of not having access to that. If I were to get injured or not be able to do that, it would be so scary to me because I would lose access to all this huge segment of my thinking and would all just be gone. And I don't know what I ever did. So you're did saying that, that you believe now you're much more creative and open than you would have been a hundred times more creative. And, and the ability to think through complicated things in my life, I just, I didn't even know those problems were there mm-hmm. to be solved, or I didn't have the stamina to be reading the book or facing, you know, everybody runs into problems and you know i've got my own fair share of problems and the ability to run so that i can figure out how to get out of those problems or how to move past them if i didn't have that i don't know what i'd be doing so i feel it's when i try and like say like you know you should really work out you should go lift weights or do Mm jujitsu or do something i i it's 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 like a this will be a lifeline to you. This mm-hmm. will change your life and you just don't know it. And you, once you know it, you want to share it with everybody. Yeah, Cause I remember as a kid, like all, even high school, always viewing like working out, like it's a means to an end, like, Oh, you're going to look better physically. But like now as you get older, like, well, I have to, I have to take care of myself. But then it's like, and maybe this didn't happen when we were younger. Maybe this is just a, now that we're in our thirties thing that like, it just impacts our mind so much more than it ever did before. Like when I stay consistent on a diet, stay consistent on a workout plan, like my mind, like my mind, my body goes into overdrive. It gets all excited. Yeah. And I think the, uh, the thing the 500 miles gave me was, um, there's an end goal today. Just go get five miles. There's a longer end goal of 500 miles, but really all you're trying to do is position yourself so that you can run forever, Mm -hmm. right? As long as you can, there is no finish line. And if you think you're running to a finish line, you're you're missing the larger picture that the journey is all that actually. So matters. is this like the Forrest Gump thing where you're just going to keep running? And I don't know. What they, all right, do. I'm I, done I mean, now. I, I now that I've made it to the back side of it, where it's like you know less than a hundred miles left to go, I've started bringing it up with people. One because now I know I'm going to finish it, and I don't have to be like, oh, I thought I was yeah. going to run five hundred, mm. and then I didn't. But um, but now I'm I'm open to what else 
you know, what, what could you do if you had done that? Because before starting in the beginning of January, the thought of running 500 miles to think of what you would do after 500 miles seems ludicrous because you mm-hmm. got to run those 500 first. So now I'm, I'm open to it. I'm, I'm really interested if you or anybody that is listening has an idea of what do you do next? Uh, well, how are you at swimming? Like would a triathlon, you know, I don't, I don't have any interest in racing other people. Well, it doesn't have to be a race. It can be a race against yourself. That's true. I did a Spartan race. and Really? I, I See, I've only that. done the Tough Mudder. The Spartan race seems like a step up from the Tough Well, mudder. I didn't know. So Travis talked me into this. and You and didn't know what you were getting into? I had no idea. And uh, we did one in a in the, in the St. Louis Cardinals Stadium. Okay. And it was hell, hell, hell. We were running up and down stadium stairs with giant sandbags. And it was just absolutely brutal. And I'm glad I did it. Yeah. But it wasn't my thing. I started doing jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. Oh, nice. And that has been a good challenge. You know, it's not for everybody, but it was really good for me. But I want to do something that's because that 500 miles, the best thing in the world about running is you just need a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. That's it. So you, if we see Vance Crow, you just, just the naked man with shoes. No, on. I mean, I typically no, I told wear everybody shorts. I just needed <laughs> shoes on today. I mean, but I, I yeah, but I mean, I, that's great that you, you're able to do that. And that's like, it just helping me to shift my focus. Like I look at the times where I was the most physically active. My mind was operating at the, the highest level of creativity and focus and getting things done. And like, I need to get back to that. Cause like when I take care of my body, it takes care of everything else. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and it's, it's a little bit hard to get started, but once you've gotten started before, you know what you have right. to do. That's the funniest thing is that really all you're doing is fighting against resistance because if you've ever right. gotten in shape before, you know what it takes to do it. You just have to do it in a way that you can do it forever and right. not just do it real fast, which I mean brings us all the way back to the very beginning, which is why I am so incredibly impressed with what you've done, Charlie. Like You went from a man that was cycling through as many different ideas as he could and it seems like you've hit on something that allows you to be your full self and i i feel like watching you online is uh watching a better version of of uh, parts of myself it oh. makes me want to well, be thank more. you so i am i am uh, deeply impressed if people wanted to um you know my brother always talks about my brother dan um always talks about you know you're doing something really well when people want to carry your water for you, when they want to go say, hey, this guy was a great speaker, let's bring him here, or hey, this guy's got a great hot sauce, I want to get his hot sauce Mm -hmm. in as many places as I can, or I want to go buy it. If people wanted to carry some of Charlie Becker's water, what, what, what could people do that would uh, help you in the, in the, in the business out? Um, I mean, just follow me on hot Charlie's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, more so active on Instagram. Um, that's it. Just follow me on there. If they have connections with like larger national retailers or distributors, those are the people that I'm focusing on right now. Because I've realized for the first 21 months, every day I was just out door to door to door to door, which is great. It got me into 100 plus 150 locations. But I can take that exact energy and focus it on a national account and and grow a little bit faster in a different way where it's like, it's, it's my goal right now to have as little interaction with my product as possible. Where I think in the beginning I was all excited if I had 50 gallons of each hot or 50 cases of each hot sauce. But now I'm like, that's me sitting on 50 cases of hot sauce that I have to sell an X amount of time, especially when I'm doing like the popcorn, 
can say I have a pallet. Well, that's a, that's going to expire in two to three months. Like you have to sell those things quicker. So yeah, if anybody has inter, inter- so if you know somebody that has a grocery store, grocery or store, a, a larger retail, if somebody's friends with like if their family runs Target, like that would be huge to get my seasonings in. That'd yeah. be great. Well, um, uh, the other thing that if uh, somebody is out there, would you ever be interested in going to see like a garlic farm or uh, some of the other? The garlic you? farm would be cool. Uh, a hot pepper farm would be cool because I know the Tabasco family owns like they have one down. I think it's Alabama or Louisiana. Like it is my goal to go there. I think some of their peppers are there. Oh, and they. And oh, you want to go see that? I got a buddy named Avery Davidson. He knows he knows the family well. Really? Pe- oh, of course. Like, I, yeah. I, that is my Look, favorite. Typically, uh, if you watch the podcast, I'll have a mug here for yeah. different farm bureaus that I've that I've visited. Louisiana Farm Bureau. I am sure that if uh, if we could get you down yeah, there, like if you view like companies that I really respect in the hot sauce world, like Tabasco, like I was born on that, like I love that stuff, and yeah, like I just respect them. Like it's a family owned business, and they make delicious products. Great. Well, we'll see if uh, any of the listeners out there either know a pepper farmer or are a pepper farmer themselves, and we'll see if we can't get you hooked up with the Tabasco people. Charlie, that would be awesome. Backer, thank you so Vance, so much for stopping. Thank you. By. This was an honor. This, this is, is great, great man. Really You'll have to come it. back. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much to Charlie Backer for stopping by. I highly recommend that if you want to see somebody that is really good at engaging with his audience, has always got interesting, fun, exciting things, and it is not your standard uh, company Twitter or Instagram page, I really recommend you follow Hot Charlie's. He's probably one of the only businesses that I follow on social media because I find him to be so interesting. If you're looking for something else or somebody else that will take you out of your ordinary network, I want to give a shout out to one of my biggest supporters and actually one of the people that I admire most in the world. Her name is Christy Wabecki and she lives up in Iowa and is a PhD soybean breeder. I met Christy on perhaps one of the worst days of my life. I was giving a speech and had gotten some terrible family news and I was uh, done doing a Q&A, and there was this little tiny woman sitting in the front row that raised her hand and started asking me questions about why I had invited Dr. Jordan Peterson to uh, the American Farm Bureau. And I remember sitting there getting her really intense question out of this little tiny person and um, trying as best as I could to give her honest direct uh, responses, even though the company had been like, hey, we don't super want you talking about this so much anymore. So I was kind of stuck in this hard position and I was feeling really bad for myself. And we get all the way done with the conversation and the Q&A ends and she is waiting for me outside the door. And I think it's because she's going to say my answers were not satisfying to her, but instead she didn't at all. She had more questions. She was curious and she just wanted to find out how this came about and what was going on and was there anything she should learn. So slowly, Christy and I became friends and we have stayed in touch over the last couple of years and she has become one of the most inspirational people in my life. I always try to think, how can I ask a question that is as genuine and is as interested and as curious as Christy asks when you interact with her? And if you want to find somebody that is a fighter in life, somebody that is pushing themselves to be there for as long as they can, uh, making the world a better place. You can do no better than following Christy Wabecki on Twitter. She goes by ISU 
underscore mini underscore bean, B-E-A-N. So under ISU underscore mini underscore bean, you will find a PhD soybean breeder that is truly one of a kind. And the next time she swings through either on business or with her family into St. Louis, she has an open seat here and we will have an, an incredible podcast interview. Until then, if you get a chance, go follow her on Twitter and let her know that you heard about her here on the Vance Crow podcast. I assure you it will bring a smile to her face. And if you knew her, that would be the type of person that you would really want to make smile because she is a truly great person. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope to uh, interact with you. Make sure you send me a note on Twitter. Let me know that you're out there, what I'm doing well, what I could do better. And uh, don't forget, on Fridays, I try and release uh, a, a podcast where all I'm doing is trying to help you gain the skills to become a tangibly better communicator. So I hope you tune in on Friday. And in the meantime, if you get a chance, head on over to the iTunes app store or wherever you get your podcast, maybe Google Play. Leave us a review and uh, give us a good rating because that helps us grow and grow. And the podcast has been growing wildly. And that is all thanks to uh, to listeners that are out there helping spread the word about this podcast. I'm enjoying doing it. I hope you're getting a lot out of it, and we'll see you next week.